Good evening. All right. So um, I think most was everybody here on Sunday. Yes. Okay. So that was a, a good update, I think. But I wanted to talk a little bit more about the logistical things that we did in Oaxaca. And uh, we've had a lot of small <laughs> updates here and there. And if anybody's been to the prayer meeting, we did, we did a more in-depth update there. Um, but on Sunday, if you guys, uh, or even actually last Wednesday, I did a little five-minute snippet too for those of you guys who were here. But I talked a lot about the town we went to, uh, San Mateo Pinas, uh, to set up um, and establish um, a reputation there for their medical brigade in February. So that was a big part of it. But there was a lot more uh, that we did and that Joe's doing. Uh, it's pretty interesting being there in 2019 and then again in 2021 and then now 2022, seeing how his, the minute God has grown the ministry and expanded it. And it's bigger than Joe would have ever anticipated, obviously. So I can – is it, it – okay, cool. Okay. <laughs> All right. And uh, so – we, we obviously know he does Bible distribution, so we got to experience that firsthand. Uh, he got in contact with a missionary that's been on the field for a year in Guatemala, and uh, just messaging this guy on WhatsApp. WhatsApp is huge in Mexico, South America, all that stuff. Not in America, just everywhere else. And um, so we got to see that firsthand, and then Joe, uh, you know, he mentioned, would you guys need some Bibles? And his response was, yeah, we'd love some, but we don't think we can afford it like we, we don't worry about the cost he's like well it's there's no cost to you guys so they were excited about that initially we were going to send 100 bibles to them but we ended up sending 140 and then 10,000 gospel tracks so um this church where i assume they have a church body um a lot of them will receive bibles for the very first time most he said most of the ones that they most most people they know in guatemala don't have a bible and never have had one so that's awesome to see that um you know, putting together Spanish Bibles here and then taking them all the way down and watching them get distributed to Guatemala and other places in Mexico is pretty cool. Um, we know that's a big aspect of it. And then there's the medical brigade uh, aspect, which is uh, doing really well. They had a full-time dentist that was down there while we were there. So they had about three days a week they were doing dentistry work on locals and stuff like that, which was good. Uh, he's now gone on to further schooling, uh, so he's not there right now, which in a sense is good for Amy to get a break. She has to be in there with him and all that stuff. Um, but they have the mission base, which is where we stayed. And if you guys have seen it online, the, the purpose of the mission base is, uh, one, it homes the medical brigade, uh, the permanent medical uh, clinic, uh, Grace Medical Clinic. And uh, above it is a two dorms, one for the males, females, and their bunkhouses, basically. And that's going to be for groups as they come down. That's where groups will stay. In the past, we've stayed in a hotel in town. Uh, this year was the first time that uh, Caleb and I got to stay there. Uh, last year it wasn't even finished, and then the first time we went in 2019, it was just a dirt hole. So it's pretty cool to see that grow and how it has been developed over the past few years. So we got to stay there, and eventually they hope that a uh, a national pastor will be trained up to take over uh, the church, uh, Grace Baptist, in Waltuco. And that will be his house there, and they'll have a house behind it, back kind of off. So uh, we got to see that. And then they also, if you guys don't know, because um, I've talked to a few people who didn't know this, but they have a Christian school as well. And uh, they have about 20 students and um, doing fantastic. Uh, during COVID, they were the only school operating. Operating, So all the public schools shut down uh, during COVID for two or three years. So most of the kids, and most of the kids there don't even go to school past middle school anyway. And uh, they get to middle school and they drop out and just work with their parents. Um, so it was important, at least for the kids that they're developing and raising and discipling. It's, I mean, 
will be a great asset for them as they get older because they've had a continued education and they'll have one continued until they're uh, adults, I'm sure. So those are, so it's at the Christian school, the medical clinic, Bible distribution, and then the churches. He's obviously uh, also trying to plant churches in different areas of uh, Oaxaca. So he has a triangle. I call it Joe's Slice because Joe likes pizza. So there's a triangle with two major highways that connect to Oaxaca City, and he's trying to get a Bible to everybody in that triangle. That's his slice of the pie, uh, so to speak. So he's trying to do that and plant churches. They do have a couple church plants uh, that they've got buildings for now, one in a town called the 20th of November, and then um, uh, the other one, I can't remember the town that it's in. And then we were supposed to go to um, to another town on the way down the mountain where he wants to f- do a future church plant because I believe that was the one he told me they had a pastor and uh, they had a church there, and I think he died from COVID, and so they have nobody. So everybody's just, they don't even meet anymore because they don't have anybody to reach. So he, I know he was mentioning that and interested in getting somebody up there and checking it out to see if maybe they can go up there and do a Bible study and lead to a church plant in that sense. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts logistically for what Joe's trying to handle and also building. Uh, a big aspect is uh, in the future, they're going to be, very soon future, they're building um, their physical building in Waltuco. They haven't had one. They've rented, and God finally provided a lot. Like if you were to put, like if this was where the school was that they were renting on the street, I would say three buildings down, I think, and down a steep hill, there's a lot down there. So Everybody still walks there. It's in perfect distance. So everyone who's used to going to the church, it's not a problem for them. They can still get there. It's close. It's far enough away from the main strip. It's not loud, um, but still close enough. Picking all that stuff in there and interrupts. But regardless, so it's awesome. They finally have a building, uh, a lot to build on, and they're going to start building soon. So be praying for that. I will say that uh, with everything going on, Joe is uh, astonishingly aware and uh, a good steward of the finances. So. If you do give money to them, it's literally going to build bricks. Like, that's what it's going to. He's uh, very frugal. They do have some interns um, that have come from a, a Bible college and some that were locals. And even he was, these are younger kids. And uh, it was funny because he has them eat all of the leftovers. And he's like, Justin, oh, I have to eat all this. This is not our money. He's like, this money has been given to us. It's God's money. And he's like, we need to be good stewards of it, not being wasteful. So, I mean, he's very... And I watched it firsthand. He's very diligent about we're not going to waste any of this money. So that's really cool to see. So if you've ever been concerned about giving the missions and where your money's going, I can guarantee you if you're giving to Joe and Amy and the mission in Oaxaca, it's getting to where it needs to go. He's not wasting it on anything, except maybe sweets every once in a while and crepes. But uh, so logistically, that's a lot. Uh, We did do some painting last year. If you guys saw, we did a lot of concrete work. We did a lot. We poured some pillars, stuff like that. We didn't do that this year. They didn't really need it yet. And we didn't build bricks um, because they're not quite prepared. Um, one, some, one thing to do is pray that um, – so they are going to start building soon, but he's trying to – the church doesn't know that yet. So they don't know that, and he's trying to find a way to present it to them without them completely becoming dependent on America. Because that happens in certain countries. They're like, oh, the Americans will just pay for everything. Don't worry about it. So he's trying to you know, seek wisdom on how to uh, navigate that, but I know they're going to be announcing that soon. So we weren't able to build or anything yet. Um, but by February, I think he was saying they should have their first two classrooms and a bathroom. So they'll be able to meet in those classrooms for church, and they will officially have a building, which is really cool. Um, so I'll be praying for that process as they uh, navigate that, uh, and they finally have a building that they can call home 
that is their lot. So um, trying to think. So we did some painting in the dorms and stuff like that, and that was about the most physical thing we did. Um, and then we went up to the mountain town and uh, handed out hundreds of uh, Johns and Romans and tracks in town in Waltuco and then also in San Mateo Pinas. Then um, we packed a lot of bags. One thing I didn't mention, I need to mention to the prayer team as well, that if you guys are interested, reach out to me. One thing we noticed, Caleb and I noticed, was that we were lacking, they put, sometimes they put soap, like hotel soaps and stuff like that, in the bags that we give out. So they have something, or toothbrushes, or toys. Um, they're lacking little boys' toys. So Jody and I made an Amazon list of things like Hot Wheels and stuff like that. We've done Hot Wheels before, and they were a huge hit. And uh, so if anybody wants to um, purchase some of that, uh, Mike and Liz Shore with Seeds of Grace Transport is going down in January. And we're hoping to get some of that that they can take down with them so they can, so they can pack some more bags uh, for boys so they actually have something besides a bar of soap to play with and look at. Um, so logistically, that's a lot of what we did. Um, does anybody have any questions before I just pass it over? Guy? Um, I didn't – I did wonder that. It does look like it's kind of a lower area, which might – but there is a creek nearby. So as long as that creek stays flowing, I, I don't assume – I think I did ask him when we were out there at night preparing the land um, if there would be issues, and I think he said there wasn't any. And I think it's so hot there, I think it just dries up pretty quick anyway. Um, but, yeah, that is I – could, I could imagine that's a potential risk is flooding, um, but with it being so hot too, so – Well, they had a hurricane a few months ago and then a tropical storm, and that's where a lot of the damage came from, especially going up to the mountain town. That's why they couldn't get up to the mountains. They did a lot of um, they did a lot of food drops. Um, they do water filters now. They give out water filters. Um, they have a, a guy that designed it's a five-gallon bucket with a uh, hose on it and then a um, basically a life straw, and they just drip that into another bucket, and that's how they can have filtered water, and they take that up into these towns to get people filtered water and then preach the gospel and the water of the word. And they use that as an uh, as an opportunity to preach, so they do that now. There's a somebody from Grace Lee Summit, I think, designed those and bought a bunch of them to give to them. So that's pretty cool. But yeah. Anybody else? Questions? Okay. That was ten minutes, Brian. I don't know if you want me. I don't know if you have any questions. But okay, cool. wanted to be he did great uh so yeah yeah all right thanks mitch all right well guys if you have your bibles let's open them up we're going to jump back into our study of the function and finding your place in the body uh, of christ and we're talking about body life now of course if you're a member you're like i found my place in the body of christ of course obviously once you're saved, you're in the body of Christ. So we'll talk about all that. This is a little bit of practical stuff. Hopefully you've been enjoying it. It's uh, dealing with fitting into the body of Christ. So we've already covered provision and protection. And uh, now we're talking about function and how do you find a place in the body. We'll cover those other topics uh, later. Amy has a handout. If you don't have a handout, raise your hand in the air. Wave it like you don't care. And Amy will come in, a, in the fashion of us Gen Xers and give you a handout. All right. And so uh, Amy has those. She's lovely. Uh, and as those are being passed around, uh, for those of you that need to catch up, uh, we've covered um, the body of 
let's see, let me make sure I'm on the right. Yeah, this is what we covered last week. We were answering the questions of what's my place in the church, what's my value in the church, what happens when I'm uh, not attending church. We didn't get very far. We covered uh, the doctrine, the base is the basis of our fellowship. So we spent some time on that last week. Uh, that's where we entered, introduced the subject. Point A was doctrine is, simply means teaching uh, or instruction or instruction or teaching. We got it backwards. And we spent a quite a bit of time uh, with uh, several verses dealing with that. I'm going to keep moving. And uh, point B was God's pure, uh, words are pure and provides protection for those who trust in him. And we looked at the, you know, the seven natural divisions, uh, talked about how the Lord has given us an instruction manual that's perfect and pure in the Bible. And we spent some time just talking about the simple divisions, which are listed there in your outline. Uh, and we teach these, you know, on Monday, on uh, Wednesday nights, we teach them on uh, D2, and we have little, uh, you know, they're everywhere. They're kind of everywhere. We have, uh, what do you call them, bookmarks that you can look at, and you can see those. So it just kind of gives you an idea how the Bible goes together. Uh, the Bible <clears throat> uh, defines our faith. So we talked about that uh, and how important that is. It's the man. It's the manual. Uh, it's instruction manual. That's perfect and it's pure. It defines our faith, and that's where we left off. So uh, we are still talking about. Um, Oh, no, actually, point three is where we are now, so sorry about that. So the Bible and its doctrine, its instruction transforms our lives. That's where, that's really what we're talking about. So let me just kind of back up a little bit. And uh, we left off in, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, which is the verse that we started with. Uh, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, with uh, what persecutions I endured... But out of them all the Lord delivered me, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. <clears throat> but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So that's really the theme verse uh, because our fellowship is based in doctrine, what the Bible teaches. I spent a lot of time talking about that last uh, time. Uh, point four uh, then brings us to, um, let me get there. There you go. The Bible defines our fellowship in the body, right? So that only makes logical sense. Uh, if, <clears throat> and that's what, we're, that's what we're talking about. So turn to Acts chapter 20. And uh, we'll see some some low hanging fruit. Uh, last or not last week, but the week before last, I touched on uh, Acts chapter twenty uh, already when we we're talking about provision and protection. And you see what's provided here uh, in the in the early church in Acts chapter twelve. I don't know. Let me see if I have that in there. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. So you guys will have to. Uh, I'll just leave that there. You'll just have to look up the verse, Acts chapter, Acts chapter 20 and verse 1. It's a lot of reading. I'm going to go ahead and read that for time's sake. Acts chapter 20 and verse 1. Give you a little bit of background here. Uh, you know, Paul is, um, he's, he's, he's going to Macedonia, so he's, he's not quite sure. You know, he's, he's Macedonia You've heard the Macedonian call, right? So he went to Philippi there and, and planted that church. 
Uh, it says in verse 1 of chapter 20, it says, And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto the disciples and embraced them and departed to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece and there abode three months. <clears throat> and when the Jews laid wait for him, as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. So now uh, things have changed in Macedonia. There's saints and there's churches, and he's in heaven, uh, you know, a great time visiting with them. Verse 4, And there accompanied him uh, into Asia, uh, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus, and um, Troph uh, Trophimus. And so these going before tarried for us at Troas. Of course, we see here that Luke is writing, not uh, Paul. It's not first person, so us would mean that Luke is the writer at this point. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them uh, to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight, and there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered, uh, where they were to gather together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named uh, Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep, like it is possible to do today if it wasn't so cold. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And that's a big deal. Everybody was like, oh, call the paramedics. And verse 10, And Paul went down <clears throat> and fell on him, and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. And when he therefore was come up again, he had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. <coughs> Excuse me. And they brought the young man alive <coughs> and were not a little comforted. All right, so... You're like, what does that have to do with our function in the body and the fellowship? Well, I'm glad you asked. So when you look at this passage, you see quite a bit, actually, because Paul's on the move. He's going not just to one church. He's going from church to church. And he's, and you also get to see a little bit of drama. Of course, everybody likes drama. That's why you watch, watch movies and stuff and social media. So there's always got to be drama. So you see some drama here in the text. <clears throat> and so first, as you see in, in verse 1, it says, after the uproar ceased, uh, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them. So you can see here he's embracing them, uh, and he departed, of course. And then in verse 2, uh, it says that, um, and he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation. So you can see his interaction. It's physical. He's embracing them. He's exhorting them. He's encouraging them. You, you jump down to verse 4. It said there accompanied him into Asia, um, uh, Sopater and uh, Berea, and he lists Aristarchus and Secundus and, and uh, uh, Gaius and, and Timotheus and Tychicus and Tro, uh, Trof Trophimus. So he's got all of these disciples, right, that are accompanying him. He's taking people with him. He's taking disciples with him. Um, and then in verse 7 it says, And on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and, con and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many uh, lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And so the disciples came together to break bread. Um, and, of course, when Paul preached to them. 
And so there's a lot that we see here. First of all, we see a unity that forms around the Word of God by the Apostle Paul uh, here in this passage. You see that um, Paul and the disciples uh, in the first century were, were close, right? It wasn't just a business relationship. He's embracing them. Uh, he loves them. Uh, and the Word of God formed a healthy affection between the disciples um, as he embraces them because the teaching of God's Word and the fellowship around the Word was dear to their heart. This was a heartfelt thing. They were all down with the Word. And so <clears throat> I hope what makes Heartland a little unique from many churches, uh, not all, of course, hopefully we have a lot of churches. Next week we'll have the missions. We were just asking about mission focus, so a lot of our sister churches will come together around mission focus, and we're all down with the Word of God. But at the end of the day, not every church is really fellowshipping around the Word of God. As a matter of fact, if you went around Cass County, I promise you um, uh, many people go to church solely because of the relationships they have. And that could be a traditional relationship because my mama went here, my grandma went here. Uh, and, I'm, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I, it, that's that's kind of not my, my deal because I don't even understand that. I got saved and plugged into the church literally because of doctrine. So... That's also what I'm charged to reproduce as a pastor. At the end of the day, we could have the best, funnest, warmest relationships in the world. And, by the way, we should. Um, That's an excellent thing. Uh, We should have those. But at the end of the day, if we don't actually steward doctrine, if we're not excited about doctrine, if we're not moving about because of what the Bible teaches us and in the business of teaching it to other people, then I've totally failed you as a pastor in my vision. I don't understand what the mission is. And there are a lot of churches that don't in America that don't understand the mission of God. They really don't, you know, go therefore and teach all nations really isn't what they're about. Uh, they're about, you know, nickels and noses, collecting money so they can build the next building and thereby somehow get the gospel out, you know, kind of esoterically because they build a new building. But ultimately, it's got to be rubbing up. There's a reason they're embracing one another because there's got to be real relationships. And discipleship's built on that. You can do without a building. We've done that. There's times we didn't even have a building, you know, for several years. You can have church without a building, but you cannot, um, uh, you cannot have church without discipleship, right? If you're not making disciples, you're not having really. You're not doing what God wants you to do. Uh, of course, technically, you can meet and call yourself a church. But biblically, the church is here to is the body of Christ and is here to make disciples and reproduce uh, disciples that re- reproduce churches. Okay, so. Uh, so uh, Paul exhorted the disciples, as I've already mentioned, and the word of God means, you know, when you talk about exhortation, it just means encouragement, right? So it wasn't just some like intellectual series of Bible studies that, oh, you memorize these fundamentals, you memorize these 16 lessons and you get every point down and you have passed the test. You know, you're the magic uh, level one, right? Secret handshake, you know, no, no it wasn't like that at all. Uh, not at all. No, there's, a, there's an exhortation that happened. There was an encouragement that came from the preaching of the Word of God. There's, and I don't know why. I, don't, I really don't. I'm a preacher, and I still don't really get it, how preaching does that. There's something supernatural about, about preaching, and not because I'm a preacher. I'm not saying that. It's not even about the person. But when somebody who, and you can tell, when somebody actually believes the Bible, I mean, they're not just up there giving a fairly uh, speech, right? Uh, but they believe... God's word, and they know they're a steward of God's word. And I know we're we're exposed to a lot of men like that in this church. But there's something about when men like that preach the word, it it changes you. I mean, just now, I don't believe I'm not one of those pastors like I disciple from the pulpit. All you need to do is come hear my preaching. No, it's not like that. 
But there is definitely an exhortation, a movement, right? That encouragement that comes from a pulpit that just moves us. I don't, I don't even understand it myself, and I do it. It's the Lord, you know. He exhorts us. He he challenges us. He 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 exhorts us like Paul did uh, there. The church, the churches before he got to Macedonia, uh, that was one of the things he did after they embraced. You know, he abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail into Syria, he, he purposed to return through Macedonia. I missed it, verse 2. And when he had gone over those parts, right, um, uh, he'd gone through Macedonia, he had given them much, right, not a little, but a lot of exhortation. Right? He really, really encouraged them a lot. And then he went on down to Greece. Um, and so he was really about encouraging the saints. And then Paul traveled with the disciples, as I pointed out. <clears throat> and the sense of mission is not an individual effort. Uh, I know when I first got saved, and if you are, if you're in this mode, I really, I just want to encourage you. When you're so jacked up on Jesus that you literally think that you're going to win the world to Jesus all by yourself, and you're going to go, you're going to be the next Billy Graham, man. If that's you, more power to you. But it won't take long, and you will realize that wow, that is way more than I could do. And and by the way, Billy Graham can't do that. Uh, sadly, Billy Graham, when that last crusade thing he did here in Kansas City, he had to bring uh, his whole team and talk to the churches about about what? What did he exhort the churches to do? Take a guess. Take a stab at it. Hmm? Not to tell. Discipleship. Were you part of that, Pat? Okay, I didn't know if you were part of it. So we go to these sessions, and we sit down there with old Billy Graham's guys, and uh, <clears throat> you know what they're teaching the churches? Now, this is what you got to do. We'll preach the gospel, but once they get saved, we really need you to teach them the basics of the Bible. So here's some discipleship lessons that we're going to give you so you have the materials so that you can teach them the Bible. And I'm just sitting there like, are you kidding me? And that's not a knock on Billy Graham. That's a, that's a, that's a pathetic situation when you have to, the evangelist has to tell the church what they need to be doing with the people. Right, and and that's a, and I'm not making this up. If you were, how many was anyone here part of that crusade, that event? Ron was. You remember that, Ron? <clears throat> I don't know if you went to any of those meetings, but that's what the meetings were. And uh, Scott Dawson kind of does something similar, actually, um, but not quite as intense. But anyway, so Paul, he he was he was on a mission, and it's not an individual effort, right? It does take a church, and it takes churches, especially to get the mission done. So it's not just one church. It's church is. The mission is bigger than any one church, but yet each individual church, uh, as Paul Clark says, you know, if your church isn't about missions, it's not a biblical church. I think that's what he says, something like that. Um, and he's right, right? So if you go to a church and it's really not about missions, well then, now, you, and you say, well, I thought you just said it's about discipleship. Yes. It's just, missions is just doing discipleship outside of your church, right? It's It's somewhere else. And that's why the set, if we have an eighth stage of discipleship, which I do have written down, it is new beginnings, right? So you take, when we look at the seven stages of spiritual growth, we look at that as an, an individual path of someone growing in Christ. If you, went, if you were in Randy Foster's ABF, he just went through a series of lessons on how you grow in leadership and, and grow as a Christian, which is very similar to our seven stages of spiritual growth. And so we have the seven stages of spiritual growth, which are just markers that the disciples went through, repentance, enlightenment, leadership development, reevaluation, separation, uh, continued leadership development, consecration, and world vision. So you get through, each of us go through a stage uh, or go through these stages of our spiritual growth like the disciples did. 
And there's even a time where Jesus is like, well, you know, why don't you join those guys? You know, you still hanging with me, man? Well, I thought you were going to run off like them, you know? He's just like, you know, hey, I knew that. And of course, you know, they pass the test. They're like, hey, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus is like, oh, that's what I want to hear. Okay, now go this way, right? And so, so he's preparing uh, those disciples. And he's, 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 what's he doing? Is he, he's, obviously, he prepares the church uh, through discipleship. But ultimately, their job was to reproduce churches, not just... And they did that through individual discipleship. Go you therefore and teach all nations. You start with individuals, but then those individuals get saved and you have churches. So our eighth stage of discipleship <clears throat> is when someone's fully mature... Uh, and not every member of the church that's fully mature has to do this, but by God's grace, somebody's going to go, <clears throat> and not because they're mad uh, or sad, but because they're glad, right? They have the good news, and they take it out, and they plant a new church. That's what happened. Uh, Dave went and planted a church in KCK. Uh, we sent a missionary to Brazil. Harold Hatman was in Brazil for years. We had uh, Brad McGuire now is in uh, Clinton, and uh, we're praying for more church plants in the next seven years. I know exactly where I'd like to send the next one. So, um, so, you know, by God's grace, um, you know, you get that mission accomplished, you're going to have to have uh, people that are plugged in and understand that, that really uh, the Bible defines our fellowship. It's around discipleship. It's around the mission. So that's why we make missions on-ramping real easy, just real practical, commercial. Like if you get the bulletin out, you can see there's all these, these missionary prayer teams. You just heard from Mitch tonight. Why, we don't just do that on accident. It's because missions is part of it. And, and if you understand missions, it will motivate your discipleship. Your discipleship and missions do go hand in hand, whether you realize it or not. Now, when I was first a young Christian, I didn't know that. Nobody like taught me that. It was kind of caught more than taught. But it, the more you learn the Bible, the more you're going to get excited about taking it somewhere. And the more excited you get about people who are actually there. And I know what it's like to sit, you know, you're sitting there watching these guys, and you're like, man, could that ever be me? You know, maybe you're telling me to do that, God, right? And God, he, he charges our heart. In, in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4, over in that passage there, um, this was one of the verses God gave me many years ago when I was a young Christian. And I was just getting started in the fellowship of believers in a church. And I was a baby Christian in the Lord. And, and so God gave me this verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4. It says, uh, it says, Verily, uh, no, that's not it. Where's it at? Oh, yeah, it is. I'm in chapter 3. That's why it didn't look right. All right, 2-4, like I said. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Now, I'll tell you how I read that when I was a baby, baby Christian. It's like I already said. I was like, hey, my fellowship in the body is about making sure I go win people to Christ and bring them back here so they can get discipled. I'm an evangelist. I'm going to go win everybody I can to Christ, and I'm going to take them to that church where they can get discipled. And, of course, that's nothing wrong with that. That's a great, that's a great goal. Knock yourself out. Um, but over time, I learned, I mean, I was a hardhead. I mean, I was like, it's all about the gospel. We can talk about discipleship all day long, but if we ain't preaching the gospel, no one's getting saved. You know. And I was in a very strong discipleship-minded church. And then as I grew and, the, and my fellowship in the body uh, continued to grow me, it was actually being in the body of Christ that helped, under, helped me understand how that ties with the mission. And so over time, my zeal for the gospel 
hooked, actually, ironically, uh, hooked me up with a guy in dis, that was, we were in a, dis, in a class on how to teach discipleship to churches. Uh, this is back in the early 90s. The door to Romania had opened uh, after Ceausescu was, was killed. And uh, so the door was open. The churches were persecuted. We had an opportunity. We sent like 600 trips. If, I think that was right, wasn't it, Amy? Six, it, was, it was hundreds of trips. It's crazy. Thousands, it's like a thousand people or something from our church went to Romania. And I may, be, I may get that off. Maybe it was 600 people. But it was a lot of people making a lot of trips. Do you remember the numbers on that, Pat? I don't remember the numbers. It was staggering. It really was. We equipped the whole church body. And, uh, and we were going in this open door, and we were teaching the philosophy of discipleship in local churches. The only problem is I didn't have any money, and I couldn't go. So, uh, so I went through the training, and then I just grabbed a guy, or a guy grabbed me. Uh, he was more forward than I was as far as the gospel. Even though I was zealous, he was, he was a little bit more uh, gregarious. And so he opened the door to me to go to this place called City Union Mission. And then once I got down there, I, on my, you know, God just kind of took it from there, right? So he was kind of like my Barnabas, and I was in that, in that scenario. And I ended up staying, and he kept moving on in ministry. And, uh, and so he's a good guy, good brother. But the point of that is, is that God used the gospel, ironically, the, even the discipleship training. And as I look back on it, it's funny. Uh, to get me moving forward in the area of the mission that I was, you know, willing to do through the fellowship of the church. It was the fellowship of the church, the fellowship of the church, and the vision of the church, and the discipleship in the church. But it took me a few years to really get how discipleship and mission went together. So I'm not like in a foreign country. I'm at 10th and Troost. I'm just downtown, (laughs) and I'm downtown a lot, like every week. And I'm down there preaching at least weekly, and there's a lot of preaching going on. Of course, I don't even have, I'm not even, this is before I'm even trained. I haven't been to shepherd school or anything. And uh, it was about the time I, I, I was getting into shepherd school. I was 24 years old, and I was entering shepherd school, which is equivalent to our Bible Institute, Heartland Bible Institute. Uh, Bruce Shalapi hands the ministry over to me, because I was kind of the last man standing. I was faithful, I was zealous, I was there, you know. And, uh, and so... I end up being in charge of this thing. And voila, I realized, wow, I can't do all of these. And at the same time, God was opening up the door. So it used to be we like went once or twice a month, four times a month. Well, about the time, you know, I was coming up to take over, God opened the door. We were literally down there like 20 times a month. I mean, the door was just wide open. Like, when do you want to come? And this lady was in there just... She loved us. She just kept penciling us into all the preaching slots. And Pat, you were there. You remember those days. So we're all going down at lunchtime, weekend time. I mean, anytime we're just going all over. It was, a, it was an exciting time. But guess what I realized? You can't do the mission by yourself. And uh, Pastor Adams was right, our, our senior pastor. He's like, oh, that's a great place to train men. I'm like, no, it's a great place to preach the gospel. Those men are dying and going to hell. They need Jesus. It's not about us training men. It's about the gospel. That literally was what was in my heart. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you know what I learned? It's about training men. <laughs> at the end of the day, the fruit that remains from my time at the City Union Mission, there's some guys that got saved. And there's, there's gonna be, I don't know how many countless people will be in eternity. And I still have a zeal for the gospel. My, my funnest, best, most memorable preaching ever in my life has been at 10th and Truce. I, I mean, to, to this day, I loved preaching in that environment i loved i just every i don't know why but i just that was i just thought that's probably where i should spend the rest of my life by the way why didn't i spend the rest of my life down at 10th and truce he called me somewhere else but specifically 
He called me to make disciples. Right. So I told you I'm a hardhead, right? It took me a long time to figure out what the mission is. Because I was so zealous about preaching the gospel. And I don't even I don't even know that I am an evangelist. But but I was so zealous about the gospel, it took God a, a few years to get me really tuned in. And by the way, all the whole time, you know what I'm doing? I'm taking people through D1, <laughs> ironically. So, you know, people like Doug Howie. And uh, I could just talk a lot about a lot of people. But, you know, God is just awesome that way. God is so good. And even, you know what was really awesome about all that is that it's the fellowship in the body. Even when you don't know what you're doing, and I did not know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was really doing because of the body of Christ and the function of the body and the body, the mission of the church was on making disciples. They understood. So even when this, this young punk guy so zealous for preaching the gospel doesn't know what he's really doing or why, God can still use that. Because the, you know what? He uses that. You get excited about the mission of God, you'll figure out the fellowship. Because you can't accomplish the mission without being in fellowship. The mission at City Union Mission, when I was in charge of that for our church, that ministry, was too big for one person. Right? So what did I need to do? And say, hey, Pat. Hey, Randy. Hey, Mark Heckman. Hey, Brian Clark. Hey, Doug Pearson. Right? I got all my buddies, right? And we all go down there. Everybody or whoever. I, I got anybody that would come. I put announcements in the bulletin. And then I trained him, and we, you know, we got. And, and by that time, I had figured out that you can't. The gospel without the local church equates to no discipleship. With no discipleship, you have no fruit, and no fruit that remains. And you're just basically. I'm not saying there's nothing. There's it's everything right about preaching the gospel. But if you have a baby, you need to take care of it. And if you're out sowing the seed, but you're not willing to take care of the child that comes forth, then you're not a good steward of the word of God. And I guess, and, get, and you know what? You need an environment to raise it in. Going back to our very first lesson, the environment is the local New Testament church. It's not Tenth and Troost. In that case, in that scenario, it was at uh, 55th and Blue Ridge Cutoff because that was the church I was a member of. So I endeavored to make sure the fruit that we had had every opportunity to get back to the fellowship of believers. So you needed the fellowship of the believers, number one, to preach the gospel, but you also needed the fellowship of believers to care for the fruit. And if you don't have that going on, if you don't have a local church that's on mission, it's going to affect both the preaching of the gospel and your ability to make disciples the fruit that comes from the preaching of the gospel. So are we on mission? That's the question for Heartland. Well, you say, well, sure we are. Well, are we? Now, the question really isn't are we. The question is are you? Right? Because if you aren't, then we aren't. Because we're a body. The body life of Heartland, it can't just be me up here understanding this thing. I have to be able to communicate it in a way that we all get it. That's why we've been focusing so heavily on intentional gospel outreach. Because sometimes it's, a, it's like a balance. Proverbs 11, right? False balance is abomination inside the, the Lord, a just weight is his delight. Right? You, can get over, you can get all zealous about evangelism and forget discipleship and get all zealous about discipleship and forget evangelism. Now, they're really just, the, it's all one and the same. Good discipleship should be good evangelism. Good evangelism should be good discipleship. What is that really focused on? It's not just the pastor, and it's not just the evangelist, it's not just the discipler. It's the fellowship of the believers. It's the body of Christ having the right biblical 
framework, the right doctrine, understanding what does God say we're here to do? And then are we doing that? Now, again, I've given you a great example in my own personal testimony of the grace that God has. Because it sounds simple. Oh, go ye therefore and teach all nations. No problem. Okay, go try it. Go do it. Where do you, what do you mean? Where do I start? Good question. Where do you start? <laughs> how do you do that? What does God say about that? And how did God give it? What did God give us in the New Testament? Well, we're looking, as a matter of fact, at Acts chapter 20. So things are underway with Paul. And one of the things they did is they loved each other. They embraced one another. They exhorted one another. They gathered together and they traveled together. They took mission trips, kind of like Mitch and Caleb went down to Oaxaca. That's all part of the fellowship in the body. So the body fellowship within the church, the fellowship of churches or missionaries like we have in Oaxaca, like we'll have next week going over, going on at Living Faith uh, down in Midtown at the and the Living Faith Lee Summit with the Mission Focus Conference. It, it's exciting what God is doing. One of the people that, I'll give you an example. One of the people, I don't want to give anything away, but one of the people that's coming for the Living Faith Conference was scheduled to come here first, Dan Jalowick. And so, you know, we talked and we said, hey, he's like, I don't know all the churches other than Mark Brown's church and First Bible Baptist in uh, Blue Springs, and he probably knows a couple others, but he hadn't been acquainted with all of the sister churches that we have in the metro area. I said, well, let's make that happen. <laughs> Typing up some emails and get it going. Now he's going he's gonna to preach at Focus, right? He's gonna, what is all of that about? That's about all of us together, right? Not just one church, but several churches working. Why? Because we know the gospel needs to get out in Africa and vice versa, right? Andrew Ong shows up. We're all excited about Andrew Ong. We're all excited about Joe Hendringsman. We're excited about these. Well, these, are, these aren't missionaries that came out of our churches, these are missionaries that come out of other churches, but we join in on that, on that fellowship. And so, what I'm what I'm trying to show you guys is it what what works on the why does it work on the macro? Why do you think it works on the macro? Bingo. Angela's got it. It works on the micro, right? If you don't do it in the micro level, if you don't do it on the one-on-one in your local church, you're not going to get the big picture. You're not going to get it church to church. There's a reason we're called brothers for a reason. It's not just because everybody's from the South. Hey, brother, what's going on? No, it's because we have one father, right? We have a book, and we're bound by the, we have a fellowship, and we understand that we got to make disciples. It's bigger than one of us. So we got to go grab Timothy. We got to go grab this guy, that guy, the other guy. When we went to, when we went to India, I, this church could not have sustained what we did with uh, Pastor Pradeep without the fellowship right? The fellowship that we had from our sister churches, right? And so we had a great fellowship. Right now, Dan Renault's working with another brother. I was going to say his name, but there's so much persecution surrounding that guy. I don't even want to say his name. But Pastor Dan's working with another guy down at Lee Summit. And we've helped with that, right? Why? Because it's bigger than any one church. He needs help. It's the fellowship. It's the fellowship that comes both in the local New Testament church, in the local body, but also within the bigger body of Christ. Okay, i got to keep moving. So the saints did not forsake also the assembly of themselves on Sunday. That's also important. So the time uh, that they came together on the first day of the week was so special, right? They went long into the night. Sunday was uh, dedicated to the Lord in the ministry of the saints. By the way, we could grow in that. We've kind of gone backwards in the United States on that deal. 
There used to be a day when you actually set aside. Now, obviously, the Sabbath day is Saturday. It's not Sunday. The church celebrates Jesus on the first day of the week, which is Sunday um, in a Gregorian calendar. Why? Because Jesus resurrected on the first day of the week. It's a new beginning, eight. Uh, and so uh, and so that's the, the from the first century till now, that's what we do. And in the first century, they they took some time, and they made that a thing. You can't always do that. Like if you've been in countries like India, right? There is no, uh, they don't honor the uh, Sunday, right? They may not honor any day. Some countries don't have a Sabbath at all, right? You're in a communist country like China, you may not get a day off, uh, or Zambia. I noticed because the influence of the Chinese, the Zambian country in Zambia when I was there, in the city. Man, it was it was hardcore. They were working those dudes like dogs seven days a week to build the infrastructure out over in Zambia because of the the contractor the the money and the contractors were coming from China and China is a godless nation, right? They hate God. Based, I mean, not the people necessarily, but the government is antichrist. So <clears throat> they don't honor the Sabbath. They don't honor seven. They don't care if those workers work seven eight days a week. It doesn't matter to them at all. That comes from that comes from Christ. That comes from the influence of Christ in a culture. That's why there is any rest for the the weary, but anyway, that's I'm kind of di- I'm getting off track. Let me let me digress. The point though is that they got together on the first day of the week and they prioritized that fellowship together. It was very important. We know from COVID how important and how also is not just important to us. It's important to the devil to stop assembling together on the first day of the week because it builds our fellowship. That exhortation, what you if you walk into a good Bible living church. Uh, not just ours, but any of them. What you're going to see is what you would see here on a Sunday. You see embracing. You see exhortation. You see cooperation between body of Christ doing ministry together. And you know what? <clears throat> you see you see people that are focused on assembling and honoring the Lord on the first day of the week. It, there's something about that. God just blesses. All right. It's point five. I've got to keep moving. So you will uh, experience fellowship in different ways as you assemble with the body. So let me give you some of those ways practically here at HBF. Uh, the first first way that you will do that is congregational level. Uh, if you're, and this is a little bit more down where the rubber meets the road here, maybe because I'm kind of getting, I'm kind of traversing several levels of, of this subject here tonight. I'm going all the way out to missions and then coming back down to membership and up and down. But basically, if you're like new to Heartland, this is typically where people start. I mentioned this a couple of weeks back, right? That congregational level on Sunday morning. That's the basis for your fellowship is, is just getting together. You know, sometimes you want to be anonymous. You hide in the back, right? Sorry, there's Tommy back there. Sorry, Amy. Amy's back there hiding, right? You want to be anonymous. And so you hide in the back and uh, you want to hide it. You want to come in and slip out. You're just checking things out. You, you know, you just, it, it's, I hope, I hope, hey, brother, did you feel welcome and wanted when you came here? Awesome. So that's what you want. You want a guy Sorry to point you out. That's very rude of me. But you want a person that comes new to, to the church uh, to, to feel like, hey, I'm welcome and I'm wanted. Right? We, that's one of our seven realities. That's the first one. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's wanted. And so, and so uh, that's what you should get at a congregational level. I want to commend you because that is, takes an intention, intentionality by the folks that congregate. Because you could just roll up on in here Sunday going, man... I have had a tough week. I cannot wait to be encouraged in the Word. I cannot wait to get that one spot where I sit all the time and uh, and sit down. And I hope it's not under the air conditioner vent because I hate when that thing blows on me. And uh, <clears throat> so on and so forth. And you got all these prereqs 
and you roll up in here and you're all about you. And man, if someone's in your seat, you're honked off. That's my seat. You know, I paid for it. I mean, come on, man. Didn't they check the offering? I, I give a lot, a lot of money so I can sit right there or wherever that is, you know, <clears throat> and uh, so on and so forth, right? People kind of get like that. They get, even in corporate worship, they can get a little self-centered. It's all about me, Jesus, you know, and so <clears throat> they, they come on in and, but that's not the way y'all are, right? Because when, when someone new comes in, you go out of your way, hey, you don't have a seat, take mine, right? You know, First time here? Well, what do you need? How can I, do you know? Hey, do you know where the restrooms are? They're down here. We got coffee back here, right? You want them to feel welcome. Hey, the kids. This is how we take care of the children's children's. Can I help you get checked in? Right? That's the way it ought to be for mature believers, right? Because we understand how important fellowship is and how how awkward it is to walk into a congregation if you're not churched. And if you grew up in a church, it's kind of different. You just kind of like it's like you know you grew up like a duck. You just know how to swim. But like me, man, when I came to church the first time, this is in like 1987. I got saved March 25th, 1987. So this is like somewhere in April, probably end of April, when I finally got to our church where we ended up getting settled. <clears throat> and uh, I roll up in there in a pair of blue jeans and a, a Fort Osage wrestling tee, you know, and. Uh, I, I'm sure I had my tennies on, you know, I just rolled up. And back then, nobody went to church like that. Back then, I mean, that, that was like, showing up to church like that was like, I, and I immediately, when I walked in the room, I was like, huh, I'm the only dude here with the t-shirt on right now. <laughs> and so, uh, anyway, it was what was really cool, though, is I remember, remember Gwen's last name, Amy? I don't remember her last name, but this lady named Gwen, uh, they do the introduction. Sweet as could be, she shakes our hands and welcomes us. Uh, just a lovely lady. And then and then, <clears throat> just kind of across down the aisle, this dude, um, Danny Gobble. You remember, Dan, remember that, Amy? Danny Gobble shakes our hands, and uh, he's like, hey, we got a softball league or whatever. He goes, you might want to come out on Friday and check us out, you know. I'm like, awesome, man, that's cool, you know? And so I just immediately felt welcome and wanted. And it literally was halfway through the message before I even knew where we were at in the Bible. I was like, there's an amazing message in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1, but I was in John, the book of John chapter 1 and verse whatever going, that is not what it says, what is he saying? But anyway, all that aside, it was the people that just, the congregation level just really, uh, it was special for me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Shout out to Steve Fleshman, man. Took you guys and sat down and had some coffee. Awesome. Praise the Lord. I did not know that. Man, I hope that doesn't rob him of anything at the judgment seat. That's good. <laughs> and so I'm just teasing. That's good. Uh, that's really good. Yeah. No, that's that's really what, you know, people, you know, there's congregation is is it's a really great place to get started, but it's really, it's not what we need forever. You need it forever. Don't get me wrong. I don't want anybody to miss it, but ultimately we're going somewhere with that. And, um, 
Wow. Okay, there we go. The next level we're going to is what we call community. And we got I put ABF up there. That's Adult Bible Fellowship. So if you just stay at a congregation level, and some people have to, so I just want to, there's always grace, right? Some people, all they can do, maybe because of health or, or whatever work schedules, things happen in life, they really can't do anything other than get here for a Sunday service. But, and if, you really want to get serious about fellowship with the body, I'm telling you, the way the church is structured, you need to be in an adult Bible fellowship. Um, why? I'm glad you're asking. Good question. So, because that's where the, the first of all, when you got a group of over 80 people, like this 8, 16, 240, if we were full, when we were full, full, it was 240 in the sanctuary. That's three churches in America. The average church is 80 people or less in the United States. Statistically, you're not going to have relationships with many more than probably 20-some people. And so, um, so you don't really know everybody in the congregation. You might know of them. Like I do kind of know almost everybody in the congregation by name. I know more people than, than most, but the point is simply this. I don't have a deep relationship with our membership, 200 and some people. I mean, I don't like, I can't go to everyone's house. I can't work on everyone's car or have that. You know, I mean, we just can't, we can't do all of that together all the time. Now we have touches along the way and we're bound by the word of God. My point is you need deeper relationships. You definitely need deep, deeper relationships than some figurehead up here preaching. Now, I'm teaching today, so I can be a little more. But you guys know there's a difference between how I'm rolling tonight and how I would roll on Sunday, right? Sunday is much more formal. It's much more of a monologue, right? It is a message downloaded. It is a direction. It's a directive. It's, it's an exhortation. It's much more of a, of a, of a, a thus saith the Lord God. You know, this is what God's saying. Whereas an ABF, hopefully you're going to have a time of fellowship. You may even have a time of praise. Some do, some don't. Um, um, you know, you're going to have activities outside of class. And, and by the virtue of the number, no ABF is over probably 40, 50 people. Probably right now, Passpoint has the largest. How many folks are in Passpoint? I don't mean actually, thank you. But how many, how many in numbers? Does anyone know? Amy, look that up on Shelby. See what the numbers are on uh, on that. But there, I bet the rolls probably show 50, but I bet there's not any given Sunday, probably more than 30 or 40 maybe. Anyway, that's about, that's once you get about over 40, 30 or 40, then it gets to be where you're not knowing people again very closely. So you need an ABF to get, that's why it's called community. You need a community. And especially out here in Cass County. I mentioned this several weeks ago. If you're from this area, you really need an ABF. Because you're gonna, some of y'all out here are not comfortable if you're not in a community. Now, if you're from the suburbs, you drive up from Belton or somewhere in Jackson County or Johnson County, you're happy to roll in, roll out. You don't need, you're just not about the community. It's a totally different culture once you get up in the city. I come from up that way, and uh, I mean, I had an adult Bible fellowship that ran 500 people. I didn't have it. I was in one, and and so, yeah, um, whatever. I didn't know, I went for 20 years, or not 20, 12 years, I went to church with people I never met. I mean, I literally, there's a, there's a couple that came in our Next Steps meeting two weeks ago. They were here last Sunday. I vaguely remember their face. They were in church with me over 20, well, 30 years ago. 
Same church, same body, same. They're like tracking with me. I'm going through my next step, telling about, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, we get, yeah, I was there, remember? Yeah, yeah, we were there, but never saw each other. Isn't that crazy? That's how big the church was. What we didn't have was that level of community. Well, we did. I'll get to that in just a moment. How we, how we did have community did work really effectively because we were on mission. But I, I, I can't, this is one of the things I'm really letting you all in on, a little inside baseball. You can't do church in Cass County, at least this part of Cass County, like you do up in Jackson County, at least the, the more populated areas of Jackson County, because it's just a different culture. I'm looking at the Gibsons. Like, you guys did a little of that, and it was like, nope, we're out at the big big church. I've had members, we have members, that they just couldn't do the big church. Some of it's not because of the Bible. Some of it's just culture. It's just not the culture out here. <clears throat> Uh, so, um, it's imp- why is that? Because community is important. If you wanted to be anonymous and be a number, you wouldn't live in a small community. You would just go ahead and go up to the suburbs and be part of a big metro. But you are in a small community for a reason. People that like small communities like community. Right? It's not rocket science. Um, nothing wrong, by the way. And I know some of you would disagree. With nothing wrong with mega churches. I mean, Jerusalem was a pretty big church, right? God's done some great works with me. Our church ran was running fifteen, two thousand, two thousand plus back in the day. Man, it was it was knocking it out, and in a lot of good ways. So I, I mean, there's a balance. A lot of it's just how God's working in that particular church. Oh, good point. Thank you, guys. Some people we're this we just had this discussion. Uh, the few gates are saying some when they came here they thought this was a big church right so yeah they had about 80 or 50 or whatever well we're we're, that's exactly right um we were just having this very discussion Uh, i had a brother come in not a member of our church come in a few weeks ago to visit with me about some things and he goes to a little church out by adrian i mean handful of people nothing wrong with that that's who he is that's the culture you know the question is, are they on mission? Are they making disciples? Are they, it doesn't matter what your scale is. Are you on mission? But yeah, even I, I neglected that to a lot of people in this area. I think a few years ago, we probably bumped up against the, about as big as you can get comfortably in this area. When we were up at 400 members, two services, you know, we're running 400 a weekend sometimes, you know. So it's, that was about as much as, it, as people down here can take. <laughs> And it was just like, well, we don't know everybody. It's too, too, you know, whatever. Too mechanical, maybe, is how it comes across. Um, okay, well, that's how the culture rolls, you know. But but the point of this discussion here is, yes, to some people, this is a mega church in this area. You know, however, it's all relative. God uses it. For Harrisonville, we're not. Uh, if we were out in Dayton, yeah, this is way too much. So... Uh, or maybe in Cleveland. Yeah, it was pretty. It was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, two services. We were, we were, we were pumping along pretty good there. Yeah. So, um, so it's important that you 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 engage in an ABF because that's where you're going to get community. Let me just ask. Um, well, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put you on the spot. So, what is an adult Bible fellowship? The Bible means biblical instructions believers live every day. So there's also uh, my desire for the pastors over those 
is not to just get up and preach another message, but to bring the Bible in a way that you can get handles on it and apply it in your life and live it out every day, right? It's, it needs to be something we can walk away with and we can have fellowship. The last one here is uh, core level is what I would call ministry participation. Also, we call it ministry groups, but it doesn't start with a C. So uh, <clears throat> there's core level relationships, and this is how a big mega church gets around um, gets around this issue of what we call adult Bible fellowships in the community. Because you have ministries uh, at a core level that connect people. Okay, so especially if you're big on one-on-one discipleship, well, that automatically connects people. But then you have other ministries, functional ministries, that really, uh, really that's where your deeper relationships are going to be formed. Especially if you have leaders over those core ministry groups that understand what they're doing is making disciples. Very good. Right? They're not just like plugging in. I'm the head of the whatever classroom. Okay, great. You're not just the head of the... And we had the, I saw this developing at our church years ago. Uh, and some of that is just, it's a lack of discipleship. It's a lack of understanding. And you got to be gracious with this because people like me, I was in that. I walked through this, this whole thing myself where I was on mission. Who was on mission? I was on mission. But I wasn't really thinking about all the other people that I was supposed to be bringing on the mission with me. Right? So guess what? I really wasn't on mission like I thought I was on mission. <laughs> I was just zealous about whatever I was doing. And so, so over time I learned, oh, wait a minute. If, if I'm going to go to City Union Mission and it's bigger than I can do by myself... I got to bring Pat with me. I got to bring Randy with me. I got to bring Brian Clark with me. I got to bring, uh, you know, uh, Doug Pearson with me. I got to bring, you know, just go down down the list of all the guys that were on the team. Then guess what? I've got to turn, and I got to minister to those guys because they're the ones going with me. That's what that's what it's all about is taking care of your team. So as Randy says, you can hit the the target, the team and the target. You got to take care of the team so you can hit the target. And when you get in a core, you're going to have the deeper relationships. I guarantee you the bond that, that Mitch and Caleb form going to Oaxaca, man, that's, that's going to cook with gas. It may cook with gas into eternity. We don't know what. Just going out on mission trips with people, sitting around the, in the uh, library, praying over Dominican Republic, right? Having a meal together, getting not, not 50 people, not 80 people, not 40 people. Maybe it's four people. And you're doing ministry together. Uh, you're sharing the load over here in a classroom. And you're helping out with, the, you know, this week it's my week, that week. Like me and Pat, we work, we're, we're, we work together in the ministry together. We work under Chris and Lauren, right? So Chris and Lauren are ministering to us, right? And so there's a, there's a, there should be a, in a core group ministry, there should be a, uh, a discipleship principles going on even in that. And that's, by the way, how a ma- like a big church so don't be too critical because some big churches do that really well. And uh, that's basically how the wheels can stay on the wagon in a, in a kind of a more mega church setting. But you've got to have mature ministry leadership. I'm not talking about pastors. I'm talking about ministry heads, and I'm not even talking about ministries. I'm talking about your rank and file members are now mature enough. They're worked up through that seven stages of spiritual growth, and they understand that while they're serving at the front door, 
they're not just meeting people at the front door, but they're working with the new usher that just came in, and they're helping that young man or that young lady mature. And they're not just concerned about the guy that comes through the front door. They're also concerned about Sally and what's going on in her life. And, hey, have you gotten into discipleship? Or, or, you, or, or you, what ABF are you in? Or they're encouraging them. Hey, let's go to lunch. Let's talk about that. And, they're built, and they're, they're, their life is not about them. It's about ministering to the people around them. That's biblical maturity. And when you see that in a ministry head at any level, they could be out mowing the lawn. It doesn't have to be opening the Bible. But this, they're not just mowing the lawn. They're building a team of people around them. There's a guy at our old church like that, Will Cruden. He had a whole team of people around him. And he, why? Because he ministered to him, right? That's that's how it works. that's what ministry. That's discipleship. And those core groups, man, they're they're even more encouraging than ABFs, and they're way, 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 way less more. Not there is no an, an enemy hardly, right? You're you're intimate with these people. It's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum from that congregation, right? Now you're doing ministry with people. You're doing life with them, as we like to say. And boy, that, that's where it's at. That's where it's that's that's cooking with gas. Some people aren't comfortable with that. Why? Because, well, you've got to be transparent. Yeah, you, gotta, you, you probably do, and that's probably where you're going to grow. You might even deal with some sin and some other things and get your life where it needs to be. Okay, point two, moving on. This PowerPoint's a little weird, so forgive me. All right, so fellowship, uh, let's talk about that. <laughs> the sharing of our life uh, in Christ with others in the body of Christ. So Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16 says this, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. <clears throat> Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility and worshiping of angels and intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshy, fleshly mind, and not holding the head from uh, which uh, all the body uh, by joints and bands have nourishment ministered and knit together increased with the increase of God. Oh, I have the actual verses up here, which is awesome. Um, I don't think I'm matching that though, am I? Okay, there we go. That'll work. So anyway, verse 19 uh, there says that the body, right, the, for all the body parts, all the body joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together increases with the increase of God. So as we share life together, what happens is, <clears throat> um, yeah, somehow that verse is missing. That's just kind of messed up. So let's move on past that. What happens is we get fitly joined. Let's go to chapter 4 and verse 6 of Ephesians. It says, from, from whom the, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted, by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So Colossians, <clears throat> the end of Colossians um, uh, in that passage says that the body comes together in those joints and those bands like ligaments, and it's nourished and it's ministered, it's knit together, it's increased with the increase of God. Specifically in Ephesians, it says, I love the way it says there, edifying the building of itself in love. When we come together, God fits the body together, and he does it through love. So biblical fellowship is so important. We need to, let me quickly define that. Oh, there's Colossians. Huh, that's all right, whatever, we're moving. Oh, I'm at the end. 
Okay, well, you don't need, we'll just finish this out. So, defining biblical fellowship, that's point A. Fellowship is literally defined as partnership, uh, sharing of of a company, participation, communion with others. Uh, We often say that fellowship is like two fellows in in the same ship, right? So when you come to a church in a body, you're, you're in it together with them because we're in Christ. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. So when it comes to biblical fellowship, it includes fellowship in and around God's Word. Jesus is not only a participant, but He is the center of our fellowship. So point A is defining biblical fellowship. Jesus is at the center of our fellowship. Uh, I'd like to think of, uh, <clears throat> of uh, Revelation chapter 1, at the end of chapter 1, right? Jesus is in the middle of the candlesticks. Jesus is in the middle of the fellowship. So point B, let's talk about experiencing biblical fellowship because that's really what this whole lesson is about. So there's a difference between socializing and biblical fellowship. In Acts 2.42, the Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Right. So biblical fellowship is surrounded by the teaching of God's Word, which we've clearly laid that out. Fellowship around literal meals, which we've seen the examples of in Acts chapter 20 and other locations. And the Lord's Supper and prayers, like you'd see in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 20. Uh, and that is an important aspect, too, is observation of the ordinances. So biblical fellowship with others cannot be divorced from our relationship with Christ. Right. So First uh, John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. If you reverse engineer that, if we don't walk in fellowship with Him, then we will not have good fellowship together. It's going to corrupt our communion. That's why we have communion, because we remember how we are, we're, bind, we're bound with Christ through His sacrifice. That's what binds us together. That's why if we hold on to sin, we don't just affect us, we affect everybody in the body. Our communion is corrupted. And so that's why it's a serious situation that we all observe the Lord's Supper and celebrate what Jesus has done, because that is the joy that we have, that we ha- have fellowship together. And that's why you can't walk out of here with a beef, right? You can walk in with a beef, but you've got to go, leave without it. Because Jesus is bigger than your beef. His blood is enough. And so let go of the beef and, uh, you know, and go on out with Jesus and have fellowship one with another. All right, so if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Uh, so biblical fellowship is valuable to the individual believer and the body of Christ. I'll end with this because we're out of time. But Ephesians 2.21 says, In whom uh, all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. So we grow, to, we grow together into a holy temple. What makes us holy is Jesus Christ and his shed blood. But you know what? We still grow together. And we grow together in that doctrine, that mission. And how not just, we under, not just understanding the, the doctrine, but how that functions in our life individually, how that functions in the church, and even how it, function in, it functions in the fellowship of churches. So we've talked about fellowship individually, of course, it all is based on fellowship with God, fellowship with one another, but it's all really based on the doctrine, what God says, what he teaches us about himself, his mission, and how we accomplish that. We can't do it by ourselves. We're going to have to have fellowship, right? Two fellows in the same ship. Jesus in the midst of that ship, right? He is the key. All right, so um, if you're a hot dog out there and you think, I don't need the church, I'll do my thing, man, there's a lot of people out there like that. You know what? Have at it. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be, you're going to be, it's futile. You're not going anywhere. I promise you. That's going to be eternal. 
few years ago, um, George Bonner wrote a book called Revolution, and he proposed that the church will no longer need to meet together anymore. They can meet on the golf course. It's more effective, blah, 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 blah. Hey, I guarantee you, there's no ordinances out on the golf course. There ain't nobody exhorting the Word of God, preaching the Word of God on the golf course. There's not people hugging up on people and loving them like they need to on the golf course. There might be some of that going on, but it is not, it is not going to work. God has ordained the local New Testament church. That is how we function. Just like if you chop off my arm and let it lay on the ground, it is not going to function properly. It could tweak a little bit, but it ain't going to do nothing. I mean, it's, it, after a minute, it's gone, right? If it doesn't get the blood, it's over. And uh, you know what? That's what a lot of Christians do. They get themselves cut off from the body, and then they don't function. And they wonder why they're dysfunctional. Because you're not, you're not connected to the body. I'm not, as you guys, I'm not a big church attendant. I don't beat everybody over the head on church attendance. But I will tell you this. I, I bet if people prioritize church attendance even, forget all the other nuances and all the other bennies I could throw out there, but just attending and listening and living what you learn. If you came on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, I'm just telling you, I bet your life would be completely different. Now, you can get in a religious rut. You don't have to do all that. This, I'm not telling you. I'm not, I don't beat people over the head. But I am telling you, there's a lot, of, a lot of doctrine goes out of this church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And there's a lot that you can... And not just the Bible teaching, but the, the people. The fellowship. That's probably one of the most grievous things for our Sunday night group. Some of them think that's the best service we have all week. That's what, that's what Sharon says. She'll tell you that. But nobody's there to hear it. So, well, okay, that's their loss. We still get the job done. The job done is getting the word out, getting the preaching done, and getting, the, getting this prayer list prayed up. That's what we do every... It doesn't matter if there's five of us, 500 of us. We're going to get it done one way or the other. But you're missing out on the fellowship. And it's sweet. So whatever, it is the way it is, um, and, and that's what we do here. So we just keep doing what we're supposed to do until Jesus comes back. But if you're not functioning in the church, if you're not, if you're not at least in the congregation level, in the community level, you'll never find your way to that core level, and that core level is really where you're going to be cooking with gas. And uh, that's when you're connected to the body, the blood's a-pumping, spiritually speaking, and uh, you're in a sweet fellowship. doesn't mean your life's perfect, doesn't mean you don't have problems. But I tell you what, there is something about being in fellowship with God, his local church, and being engaged in a ministry. You don't have to be the preacher. You don't have to be taking mission trips necessarily, but it might be include that, right? God will work in your life in a mighty way. So when we get back together, uh, is it gone? So, oh, there it is. Uh, we'll talk about relation, but that'll be after the first of the year. So we're next week on Wednesday night, we will have... We'll be viewing the uh, Living Faith Conference here, uh, and so, and then on. I would encourage you on Thursday night, and Friday night, to go on down to uh, Midtown, and also the day sessions are on set on uh, Thursday morning, Friday morning, and Saturday morning. Uh, and so, uh, I highly recommend that the day sessions are at Midtown, a Baptist Temple. Uh, the evening sessions you can go to Living Faith Lee Summit, uh, which is who we'll be streaming next Wednesday night. Uh, which is the most convenient parking and all of that. Uh, some of you I already know. My daughter's planning on going to Midtown downtown for that. That's fine. Um, uh, but the, the sessions, there'll be sessions going on at Living Faithly Summit, uh, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday nights, and also Midtown simultaneously. So 
uh, you know, pick one. But I would suggest this. Once you pick one, stick with it because uh, they will rotate the speakers. So once you, you know, go to the other, you might hear the same speaker twice if you don't pick one and go with it. So just be aware of that. All daytime teaching, though, which is personally my fave, is the daytime sessions will be at Midtown starting at 9 o'clock. Breakfast starts at like 8 o'clock, 7.30, 8 o'clock. Sessions will start at like 9 o'clock, I think. I might be off on that. And then uh, and that'll be in the a.m. till about noon or noon 30. And those will be done each day. Um, and, Monday, and that's Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. All right. Any questions on all that? Okay. God bless you guys. We're going to enjoy Christmas. Remember, Christmas Sunday morning right here, 1030. No Christmas Eve service this year. Uh, so people, you know, that's just a lot to ask for everybody to come out for both times. Uh, we're going to put the emphasis on Christmas morning. We will have uh, gifts for kids, little ones. We're going to have a little sing time up here. Uh, as a matter of fact, if I get two volunteers, I need some guys to help me move the steps out here uh, right after church is over uh, tonight. That would be wonderful. So we have a little circle step so we can use that for Sunday. All right, let's stand together. We'll get ready to be dismissed. Missionary offering, thank you, will be Sunday morning. Uh, I probably won't do a special passing of the plate, an additional, but yes, if you're praying about what to give over and above to the missionaries this year, uh, this Sunday is the time to give it. You can also give it online. You can give it, you know, uh, really anytime you want. But we're going to, you know, earmark Christmas morning as a time to give back uh, to our missionaries uh, over and above for Christmas. We do that every year to give them a little extra blessing. Uh, and so that will be coming this coming Sunday morning. So thank you for the reminder. I needed that. All right. I probably didn't say it. I think we forgot to mention it. No, you did. I just oh, I'm glad I did. I <laughs> did better than I thought. All right. All right. Did you guys, was, this, did this, was this helpful or encouraging? I hope it's not too boring. All right, let's go ahead and pray and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you for this.